and welcome to the Week 17 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. This is Rich Sabini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. The Jets are two-thirds of the way through their Florida swing, and they're 1-1 one one after beating Jacksonville on Sunday. But now comes the tough one. The defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming to town, and you know what that means. It means Tom Brady will be at MetLife Stadium if he wants he could pull an Aaron Rodgers Chicago situation and say he owns the place, and he wouldn't be wrong. Brady is 18 and four lifetime in the state of New Jersey. That's 15 and four against the Jets, three and zero against the Giants. First in Giant Stadium, then in MetLife. This is his second time back to the stadium in his post-Patriots life, and he beat the Giants last season. That was the first time. And what an interesting matchup! You have the oldest quarterback and probably the best quarterback of all time, against the youngest defense on Sunday. Speaking of goats, our guest this week is the one and only Peter King of NBC Sports. Peter has a strong take on Zach Wilson in his notes column this week, and I definitely plan on asking him that and other Jet-related topics. But let's talk about Wilson, and let's dissect his best pass of the season, according to Robert Sala. That was Salah's take after the Jacksonville win. It certainly wasn't his most spectacular pass, but it was excellent in its simplicity. Here's the situation. Third and nine from their own 43. The Jets are clinging to a two-point lead with about three minutes to play on Sunday. So this is a money situation. To appreciate the play, let's mention this. The Jets are on the field. Wilson is surrounded by six backups. His three receivers and his three interior linemen, Van Roten, Feeney, and Isaiah Williams, who's playing for the first time, by the way. So you have to know that. The Jaguars send a six-man pressure, because why not? You know, blitz the rookie, right? Shockingly, the Jets block it up perfectly. Michael Carter steps up and cuts down a blitzing linebacker, and the five offensive linemen, they win their one-on-ones, Wilson takes a three-step drop at a shotgun, delivers it on time, a little three-quarters motion with his delivery, a little Mahomes-ish, and it's a 20-yard laser to Braxton Berrios on an in-cut for the first down. Berrios gets drilled by the safety, but he holds on, makes the catch, and yep, Sala called this his favorite Wilson pass of the year. Look, I don't think we need to write songs or poems about it. It was a fairly routine play. Isn't that what Wilson had been struggling with? Remember, early in the year, when Salah said that stuff about how Wilson needs to learn to be boring? Well, this was kind of a boring play, but beautifully boring. The game will be remembered for Wilson's uh, 52-yard, actually, touchdown run. The longest scoring run in team history for a quarterback, by the way. But I think his best off-schedule play was the one-yard TD pass to Connor McDermott, a.k.a. The playmaker, the tackle eligible. Wilson's first three reads were covered, and he was flushed from the pocket. So he's moving to his right, and he sees McDermott open in the back of the end zone. Now, they ran that play twice in practice, and he completed it both times to the big man. But Wilson never actually thought it would happen that way in the game, but here he was, open. Wilson makes a nice throw on the run. He didn't panic, didn't do anything dumb, just executed the play. Moral of the story here, 
we're seeing small signs of progress. He's gone three straight games without an interception. That's 103 straight passes if you're counting at home. And he had his highest completion percentage of the year against Jacksonville, almost 64%, which is only about the league average. So obviously he still has a ways to go there, but it was a little spike in his production. He's only thrown 45 passes over the last two games. So you can see the trend here, folks. This is the kind of the offense the Jets should have been running early in the year, heavy on the run, minimizing the difficulty for the rookie quarterback. It took long enough, but the Jets have finally found their identity. Now, he only passed for 102 yards against Jacksonville, and you're not going to win too many games in this league by doing that. But on Sunday, it was enough. It's how they have to play with Wilson at this stage of his career. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why did the Jets use the second pick in the draft on a game manager at quarterback? Well, if you're thinking that thought, it's just ignorant. This is part of the growing process. You have to manage the game before you can dominate the game. It's the all walk before you run adage. The funny part is he actually is running more often thanks to some prodding from his coaches. Actually, Mike LaFleur got on him last week about You know, once he gets out of the pocket, if he sees an opportunity to take it, evidently they felt he was a little bit passive in previous games about not taking those running lanes. Obviously, he did it on Sunday to the tune of 91 yards rushing, which was a franchise record for quarterbacks. So I think this is going to be a good learning week with Wilson and the entire defense for that matter. It's the 22-year-old Wilson against the 44-year-old Brady. Same birthday, by the way, August 3rd. Now, I don't know if Wilson will have time this week. Probably not. But at some point, he should study Brady on tape. I know he looks a lot at Aaron Rodgers' tape, partly because they play in the same offense. But Brady is the guy to watch from a pocket-passing perspective. Such a good decision-maker. Never gets rattled. Pristine mechanics. So competitive. Finds a way to win. Now, Brady will find the weaknesses in the Jets' defense, and there are plenty, we know that, and he will keep attacking. This is going to be a great experience for all those young players going up against Brady. Now, we talked to Sheldon Rankins about it on Monday, and he, of course, faced Brady last year while he was playing for the Saints in the NFC South, and he admitted that, yeah, you can get starstruck when you're in Brady's presence for the first time. One guy who has faced Brady before is John Franklin Myers in the Super Bowl. Patriots, Rams, JFM as a rookie actually sacked Brady in that game. I've talked to JFM about that play, and he has his Rams jersey and the gloves gloves from that game framed in his house. Like, wow, these gloves touched Tom Brady. It should be an interesting matchup. I don't expect the Jets to win, but I think it'll be good for them. It'll be good for Wilson and the other players, and yes, even good for the coaches to be in a game like this. He's one of the most influential voices in our industry, and of course, you can read his column every morning, Pro Football in America, on NBC Sports, and you knew him for years and years as Sports Illustrated's lead football writer, and way, way back when, he worked at Newsday on Long Island when we were teammates for a short time. Of course, I'm talking about Peter King. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, it's great to be on with you, Rich. Thanks so. Thanks a lot. Boy, I'll tell you one thing. That 
was really a great experience back at Newsday. I enjoyed it so much, not just professionally, but man, what a staff we had. It was, it was incredible. And what a, what a great learning environment that was. Uh, I always feel like I, I, this is where without Newsday, I'd be nowhere. I just really feel like that was such a great learning ground, training ground for me. I, I don't know where you sit on that, but that was, that was really good for me. A lot of fond memories. It was we had an all-star cast, and you covered the Giants, but then you went yeah. to the NFL, covering uh, covering the NFL for Newsday before you went off to Sports Illustrated. And uh, I want to ask you about this week's column because you had a really strong take on the Jets in there, and and specifically Zach Wilson and the perception, you know, by some media folks that you know it, it's you know, it's almost like do or die time for him. And you, you took a really strong stance on that. You basically said, wake up people. He's just a young quarterback. He's got some time. And I wondered if you could just elaborate on that and the whole way maybe that we're covering Zach Wilson. Well, look, I have no problem with criticizing a player, uh, no matter what level of, uh, you know, what, what his, what his level of experience is. I, I, I don't I don't mind that. That's the way the NFL is. I think the thing that bothers me more and more, okay, uh, Rich, is that I I don't understand why you would why you would draft a guy onto a bad team with a rookie coach, with a very sketchy recent personnel uh history of surrounding the quarterback with with good players and a good line and, and all that stuff. And then, uh, and look, what, what really got me was uh, this headline in The Athletic that I saw. And by the way, I love The Athletic. It's not only great for our business, but it is great journalism. I love it. But this just really hit me the wrong way. And it's many times when you look at a headline, and it's not exactly what the story says. But this headline just really bugged me. And the headline was, only Zach Wilson can change the Jets narrative, and he's running out of time. What? Are, 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 you, are you crazy? Really? And he's running out of time. What? He's got the rest of the season to prove whether he's the quarterback of the future? You just picked him second overall. And, and, and I just, that's the kind of stuff. Like, hey, Rich, how about this year? at the trading deadline where the Miami Dolphins apparently someday somebody will write a book on this, but apparently the Dolphins were seriously considering trying to get Deshaun Watson. And, and now look at Tua. He's won seven in a row and it looks like they, I, I mean, I don't know if they will, but they got a shot to make the playoffs. Sure. And so I just say, will everybody please, please, please just settle down and allow Stories to be told allow a guy to succeed or fail without taking his temperature every 10 minutes. And again, look, Rich, we live in New York mm -hmm. and we're getting a lot of the same stuff now about the Giants with, oh, my God, you got to move on from Joe Judge. He's clueless. And I just keep coming back to which I thought was absolutely right. The week after the Giants picked Joe Judge, I was on the phone with John Mara, and he said, I can tell you this, I'm going to be patient with this coach. 
I'm going to give him a real chance. This is not going to be a, a Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, you know, one and two and done or right. one plus and you're done. And so, and that, and I'm not even saying that I like the job that Joe Judge is doing, but can you please allow for a guy to mature and to get into his job and to be good at his job? And that's when I look at Zach Wilson, and I'll tell you what, that play he made on Sunday, getting out of the pocket and running down for the touchdown, I almost cheered when I saw that because I said, Good for you, buddy. And Rich, can I just tell you one other thing? Sure. So I interviewed Terry Bradshaw recently uh, just for uh, a story for uh, NBC Sports at the Super Bowl. And Terry Bradshaw was just like, uh, what's the right word to say? He He was so empathetic with Zach Wilson. And and he, if if possible, he's nuttier about this stuff than I am. Mm. You know, because and and I wrote this in my column the other day. I just remember Terry Bradshaw, everybody thinks of him right now as an iconic quarterback, whatever, top 10, 15 in NFL history. In his fifth season in the NFL, he got benched twice. And so this quarterbacking is a process. And I just want people to allow this process to happen. I think too often we kind of eat our young in this business. Absolutely. And as you know, and and a lot of the listeners know, so much of quarterback play hinges on your, your environment, the environment you're in, your supporting cast. And that leads me into my next question. What is your confidence level in Joe Douglas and Robert Sala and being able to construct a good team around him to give this quarterback a chance? Well, you know, I was on record and I did not like at all Joe, Joe, Joe Douglas not having a veteran quarterback uh, in the quarterback room, a trusted veteran throughout the season. They should have gotten one in the spring. They should have gotten one in the summer. and then they desperately went out when they desperately needed one and had to make a trade for, you know, for Joe Flacco. Um, so that, that bothers me, but look, I think Joe Douglas has made a lot of moves that when you look at them on the surface, it looks like, well, that's logical. This is logical. Um, but now we have to see how they flesh out. And I use Mackay Becton as, as a perfect example. When Mackay Becton is played, he's great. And, and, but now, you know, it's the old Parcellsism. You know, uh, part of ability, the biggest part of ability is availability. And when I have seen Mackay Becton play, the one thing that I think of is, my God, this guy is an absolute total road grader and you know but you know last year he missed a little bit of time and this year rich correct me if i'm wrong i think he's only played one game yeah he played one game about 40 snaps yeah and so and again i'm not blaming anybody on this but every general manager is judged by the performance of his players was there anything in makai beckton's background is it all just sort of Fluky uh, now, you know, can he become, you know, an everyday solid 
17 game, whatever, 16, 17 game player. I, I always think back to when I got to New York in 1985, Phil Sims was just shedding the quote injury prone label uh, from his early part of his career after having a great 84 season. And, you know, you think about it now, you look back at it and you laugh at Phil Sims. You mean people were questioning his durability? Oh yeah. In a big way. Yeah. And so a couple of years from now, we might not be questioning Mekhi Becton at all, but he's got to get on the field and he's got to stay on the field. Yeah. And then I just think my, my feeling is you're also judged by the weapons you put around a quarterback. And right now the weaponry is just, it's mediocre at best. And so I think that's what they've got to do a better job of doing uh, to help a, a guy who's supposed to be a franchise quarterback actually be one. Yeah, I mean, they have, they're probably going to have two top 10 picks. So this April, this offseason could be one of the biggest or most critical offseasons the Jets have faced in a long time. And, of course, last offseason was big, too. We seem to say that every year when you're covering the Jets. Every offseason <laughs> is huge because they're usually picking so high. And last year they traded, you know, they swapped quarterbacks. So that was big. But, I mean, don't you, they're going to be one of the big stories come April. Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, unfortunately for the Jets, you know, it's not supposed to be a very good draft overall. But again, you know, I think what what needs to happen, I'm in the middle of doing something rich right now on Cooper Cup. And you know, I'm looking at Cooper Cup and how odd it is. How in the world does Cooper Cup last until the third round? And you just go into the reasons why. and and Les Snead, the general manager of the Rams, said something, you know, we get so enamored with tools. We get so enamored with 40 times, everything like that. Draft the best football player. You know, it's silly now to look at a guy like Cooper Cup and have people question, well, geez, was he maybe a, a classic mid-level receiver who wasn't going to transition from a place like Eastern Washington to the NFL? No, so so that's why I think, and look, I think Joe Judge has a great sense of what a football player is. And so if I were, if I were Douglas, if I were the Jets, I'd really be looking a lot less at, you know, who's gonna run the best, who's gonna do this. Let's have the best football players. Yeah, it's it's so important to draft guys after the first round. We focus so much on the first yeah. round guys, but sometimes it's the middle round guys. Now, here's a, a just a factoid: the Jets have not drafted a Pro Bowl player beyond the first round since Leon Washington in 2006, and he really made the Pro Bowl as a kick returner. So they have a long drought of not being able to find those guys in the third, fourth, fifth round, and it's that's one of the reasons. You know, why Rich, I I. I look at a team like the Baltimore Ravens. And when I was in their camp this year, you know, Eric DaCosta, their general manager, he's he is absolutely thrilled at the fact that they're going to have, they might have like eight picks in the third and fourth round this year. And he's got, it's some, I forget what number it was, might be seven, but they're going to have a boatload of picks and that's where the Ravens have made, have, have really turned their team into success right. because they have spent time 
getting the Matthew Judons and, you know, and guys like that, the Pernell McPhees, guys who are going to be on your team. They might not be on your team forever, but they're going to give you four really good years before they go. And then the, what the Ravens have done basically is made the compensatory draft like a second draft for them. They've got more compensatory picks than anybody in football. They let their stars walk and they don't feel bad about it at all. Mm-hmm. And so, look, I know the Jets aren't to that point yet, but the one thing I would say, Rich, I think you have it absolutely spot on. Those are the rounds you have to emphasize, I think, today in today's football to be able to have a successful team. And before we let you go, Peter, I just want to tra- put on a go in a different direction. You were a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee. And for Jet fans, this is a, a very personal subject. Joe Klecko. You know, a lot of fans wondering why he isn't in the Hall of Fame. Now, he is in the senior category now, so that's a different voting entity. But just from your perspective, why do you think Klecko's just had – I think he made the final 10 last year in the senior group, but he hasn't hasn't had that breakthrough. Why do you, why do you think that's the case? Rich, you know, a lot of times over the years when I have looked at a guy and said um, a guy who makes – the Pro Bowl, when it actually meant something at three different positions on the defensive line, Um, a guy who could uh, you could turn into a pass rusher as well as one of the best run stuffers of his day, Um, a guy who is a obviously his resume is not his resume is not Aaron Donald, but he was, in essence, in his day. He was as versatile as Aaron Donald. And and again, I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald. But what I am saying is that it always impresses me when you talk to players uh, off the record. I don't like to do – I don't like to say, hey, I'm calling you. I want to get some testimonials for the Hall of Fame for Joe Klecko. Well, what's a guy going to say? Oh, I didn't think Klecko was that good. They're never going to say anything bad. So I just say, off the record, tell me what you think. And every time I've asked that to players who played against Joe Klecko, uh, you know, they all think that he was either the toughest or one of the toughest defensive linemen that they faced in his day. And the one other thing, Rich, I, I think this, and I'm not, I, I'm not critical of the whole process. It should be hard to get in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Hall of Fame should be a very exclusive club. But I think sometimes what we do in the Hall of Fame is we get our opinions set and uh, we, don't really, uh, we don't really want to change what our opinions have been about a certain player or a certain time. It's okay to evolve, Okay. For a long time, I wouldn't vote for Ray Guy. And at the end, I saw the benefit of voting for Ray Guy. I thought that Gerald Wilson, a punter for the Kansas City Chiefs, was every bit of, as good for every bit of, of as long a time as Ray Guy was. And I finally ended up voting for Ray Guy. Uh, and one of the reasons is, you know, basically, hey, listen, let's not criticize and kill. Uh, Ray Guy, because you love Gerald Wilson, you know. Let's let's basically say, okay, Ray Guy was great too. So 
That's what I think we should do. We need to look at each player on his merits individually. And I hope that the senior committee can do that with Joe Klecko. And just one last one real quick, Peter. Uh, Darrell Revis will be coming up for the first time in 2023. Uh, do you think he is a first time, a first ballot guy? I think it depends who he comes up with, Rich. I think Darrell Revis is a Hall of Fame player. I think we get caught up a little bit in first ballot, second ballot, whatever ballot he was. Nobody ends up remembering that stuff at the end unless somebody like Chris Carter or, or, or Terrell Owens makes a huge deal of it. He'll get in uh, probably the first time, but if not, very soon. Peter, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I know you've got a very busy schedule, and we do appreciate the time. You're the best. I hope to see you down the road sometime soon. Hey, thanks so much, Rich. You take care. All right, it's Twitter time. Let's see what you guys got. Let's see what you're bringing to the table. It starts with at Marty Levine. Denzel Mims is perplexing. Real promise last year and yet nothing in 2021. What you've seen, Rich, is it a failure to adjust to a different system, teams playing him differently, Wilson not looking his way, or is it something else that shows up on film? How does a talented wide receiver forget how to play? Marty, just for you, I looked up this stat, and I'm actually pretty proud of it because it's a heck of a stat, and I think it shows a little something about Denzel Mims. In the last two years, there have been 109 wide receivers who have run at least 350 pass routes. Out of those 109 receivers, only one has not scored a touchdown. Denzel Mims. I, I think right there it pretty much sums it up. He's got talent in the sense that he's got, you know, the size, speed, computer numbers that you're looking for um i i thought he showed some some flashes last year you know he had a couple of interesting catches but again hasn't scored a touchdown yet he's played over 600 snaps i mean you would think he'd get lucky and fall into the end zone on sunday we see him in the back of the end zone step out of the end out of the back of the end zone he steps on the end line the official immediately flags it. Now, the pass to him was incomplete. It would have been overruled if he caught it because he was ineligible. Just a lack of awareness there. And, you know, solid defense him publicly. I know what he's saying publicly. I think privately, I think the Jets just want to move on for this guy. I I've said this before. I think he'll be traded during the draft. Now, Matt Rule in Carolina, if, if he still has a job, I think he'd be an interested team. I know the Panthers were interested in Mims at this year's trading deadline, and I was even told that Mims and, and Rule spoke briefly after the game in week one, and, and Rule said something like, you know, if they were ever looking to trade you, I'd be interested. So that's something to watch in the offseason. But, you know, that stat, man, that just says everything. And following up on that from at Boy Green 25 what is Mims's trade value this offseason? You know, it seems like Joe Douglas always gets more than we think, so we have to put that into consideration. Look, Mims was a second-round pick. They're not going to get that for him. His value has plummeted because he hasn't done anything. Uh, I would think probably a five because of his potential, maybe a four. I, I think this is going to be a storyline, like I said, in the second or third day of the draft. At Bones Con, 
When's the last time the Jets got to coach the Senior Bowl, and do you think they'll get that opportunity this year? Very interesting question, Bones. I'm not even sure. I actually don't know the last time they coached the Senior Bowl. Um, I think they did it, and this is this is ancient history, but I think they did it the year Gastineau came out way back in the late 70s. Uh, I, I think in my tenure, I don't think they've done it, you know, since uh, I've been covering the Jets. Now, it'll be interesting. The league actually picks the two teams. They try to get, uh, based on the draft order, the you know, the worst team in the NFC and the worst team in the AFC, and they pair their coaching staffs in the game. Right now, Jacksonville, they're going to have a new coaching staff, so they won't, they'll, they won't have the obligation of being able to coach in the Senior Bowl, so they'll be excused. So I right now I think Houston would be the next AFC team up based on the draft order. Of course, Detroit would be the team out of the NFC if for some reason the Jets finish with the third pick and you know and move ahead of Houston. Uh, then possibly the Jets coaching staff, um, you know, gets the coach in that game. I actually checked with someone from the Senior Bowl. There's really no hard and fast formula for it, but those are the ru- loose rules that they use. At I am David O five. 3-1. Is left tackle a legitimate concern going into the offseason? Is Evan Neal a real possibility? Uh, well, I think there's some concern about Makai Becton. On Ro- Monday, Robert Sala coming out and saying what we've basically known for a couple of weeks, that Makai Becton is just not going to be able to get back in time this year. So basically a throwaway season for Becton. He played in the first game, got his knee rolled up on, has surgery a week later. They say he'll be back in six to eight weeks. Here we are, 14 weeks later. Still no Makai Becton. He's not even practicing. Uh, I don't know what kind of shape he's in. I don't think the Jets are going to toss him aside. He was a fairly high first-round pick. He showed promise as a rookie. It's going to be a huge offseason for him. And Robert Sala said it, huge offseason to come into camp in shape for OTAs, He's never had OTAs. Rookie year, they were canceled because of COVID. Last year, he was injured. Go through OTAs, have a good mini camp, and hit the ground running into training camp. That's what Makai Becton needs. I do think Evan Neal is a possibility. For those of you who don't know, he's the tackle from Alabama. He's going to be a really high pick, probably in the top 10. I think he could be a possibility for the Jets. And one of those guys, either Becton or Neal, plays right tackle. They also have George Fant back. And know this about Fant. Salah loves Fant, and he loves Morgan Moses. And every time he gets a chance, he raves about those two guys. And if you notice this, and you watch the Salah press conferences, whenever he talks about Fant and Moses, he raves about their toughness, their willingness to play hurt. I wonder if that's a subliminal message to Mekhi Becton. That's just me, but I wonder. But yes, I think Neil is a possibility. I do not think... Makai Becton is getting tossed out after two years. At Eric underscore Schmidt 14, you made it clear that you were in the keep Sam Darnold camp. With the way this season has played out for him and Wilson, do you still think that would have been the right call? Eric, I'm going to admit I had made a mistake there. I, I thought Darnold would have uh, thrived this year. Um, clearly, he has not. He's had a terrible year, let's be honest. Uh, as much as I like Sam, he's had a terrible year. He's probably going to be playing for another team next year, probably in a backup role. Uh, so I was wrong about that. But I will say this in my defense. The keep Darnold 
premise that I was proposing before the draft was based on two things. One, I thought he would be able to thrive with a new coaching staff, and clearly he's not thriving with a new staff in Carolina. And the other part of that was just that by keeping him, they would have been able to trade that number two pick to bring back other really good picks, you know, possibly two future number ones. And that was the main reason why I was advocating for them to keep Darnold. Uh, so they draft Wilson. I'm not ready to consider that a success yet. Uh, getting rid of Darnold was the right move, and they got a good package for him. The other part of it is Wilson. We're seeing some progress, as I said earlier, but I'm not ready to anoint him as a starting quarterback just yet. At Meister Werder, in his postgame presser, Ron Middleton referenced game management coach Matt Burke and his input on some of the decisions made during the Jacksonville game. How much influence does Burke have in general game planning and in in-game decision-making? Is he the wizard behind the curtain? Really good question, uh, Master Meister Werder. I don't think the Jets have reached a level yet where we could proclaim anybody the wizard behind the curtain, so let's just keep that in mind. But he is kind of their Ernie Adams. Ernie Adams, of course, had that job with the Patriots and was in instrumental with Bill Belichick in winning those Super Bowls. Uh, Burke is a former coach. He was the uh, Miami, D.C. He's an Ivy League guy, went to Dartmouth, so you have to assume he's a pretty smart guy. And he does... He is in communication with Sala and Middleton this week, you know, throughout the game. He's up in the booth and he talks them through some game management situations. I think he's got a good handle of analytics. So you bring that into the equation. They went for it five times on fourth down. That was tied for the most in a Jets game in the last 20 years. So they were super aggressive, a couple of times too aggressive, in my opinion. But yes, Matt Burke is a key uh, you don't hear him. You don't see his press conferences. You don't see him. So he is behind the curtain in a sense, but he is very involved in the game management. And he's even during the week in terms of game planning. And uh, that wraps up this week's show. I want to thank our guest, Peter King of NBC Sports. His column every Monday is Football in America. You have to read that. It's must reading for any football fan. want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, as always, for putting it all together. Enjoy the game on Sunday. This is the Jets' final home game. Jets hosting the champion Buccaneers. Look, Tampa, I, I think they've been banged up, but it's still Tom Brady. And it's Bruce Arians. And, oh, by the way, the homecoming for Todd Bowles. I'm sure Todd really wants to put on a show defensively. I think the Bucs will win this game. But, hey, you never know. I think the Jets have got a little feel-good vibe going right now. You know, winning is great for confidence. We will talk to you next week on Flight Deck. <laughs>